KC Corner, episode 124. We got a very, very special guest today. Man, one of my most excited episodes is today, Mm -hmm. because we're going to have a hero of mine. You know, Brooks, uh, there's people who teach you things that are great teachers, and then there are people in this rarefied air that can teach you how to learn and how to understand. And that's what Richard Pratt's done for me. So mm-hmm. I'm so excited to have him on the show. Mm-hmm. So you have to listen to us two knuckleheads first for a little bit, then yeah. we're tossing it to Richard Pratt. Yeah, yeah. We'll get we'll get rid of the riffraff first, so uh, <laughs> it'll be good. But I'll let, give you a chance to, you started a new sermon series on David, and I know you got cut a little short this past Sunday, so an opportunity to kind of finish your sermon. What I meant to say, yes. right? You know, so what I meant to say, I sure said a lot on Sunday. And as I mentioned when you start a new sermon series, a lot of it's a lot like trying to start a new uh, TV series or mm-hmm. something that you're streaming and try to understand all the characters and how does the storyline fit together. And so I probably bit off more than I could chew uh, on a sermon uh, with David, a man after God's own heart. But really, my goal on Sunday was to see that it's always been God's design to love, lead, govern and protect his beloved people through a godly king of his own cho- choosing. And ultimately, Brooks, we're going to see that is clearly in his son, Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But how do we get that from David? And here's David, who truly is a man after God's own heart, one whom God has chosen uh, himself to be king of his beloved people. And he makes this amazing covenant promise to David. He's like, hey, through you, you're going to have a kingdom that will endure forever. How in the world? We just seen Queen Elizabeth. I mean, what an incredible reign of 70 years. But what kingdom endures forever? Mm-hmm. And uh, um, and only one is is God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And we see that in Jesus. And so, and here's this beautiful story of, of David, who uh, I love how scripture says, um, it was a man after God's own heart, but we really, the goal isn't for us to emulate David. The goal is for us to see Jesus. And who, uh, Jesus, who's both David's Lord and David's son, it's really kind of a cool little deal. So trying to set everything up, was difficult, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, trying to show, hey, how does this fit in the Bible? You know, how does this, uh, what, is, what does Deuteronomy tell us? And what does Judges tell us? And what does Ruth tell us? And how do we get to Samuel? So I know there's a lot of background and I felt like um, God was gracious and I, I got some positive feedback from people. But the funny thing is, Brooks, I really never even got to David. I mean, it was just <laughs> kind of like, uh, oh, by the way, David. And so the goal of David when we... Uh, when I had, I looked up, and again, we we're started at a new time, and I realized, oh dang! I mean, I'm I'm out of time. <laughs> I got to land this plane. So, um, but it, it really, I think that the background was there. But David, what I meant to say is, here is a king truly of God's own choosing. God, mm-hmm. God is the one who chose him, and God is the one who rejected a worldly king that the people had chose, and God uh, proved that he was the one of God's choosing because God anointed him through Samuel the prophet. Mm-hmm. And I love, I wanted to show the parallel of God's choosing of his own son and anointing his own son with John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a cool parallel there. And then you see that it says in 1 Samuel 16 that the spirit of the Lord came upon David. Mm-hmm. But we see in Jesus's baptism that the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Jesus. So you see the parallels, you see the picture. Again, uh, David was just a shadow. I mean, David was one who pointed to the one who's so much greater, David's son, who would come. Um, and, you know, he's the one that would give us hope. But 
that only hope would, would point us to the one who would give us the ultimate hope. So mm -hmm. what I really meant to say or how I meant to land was, okay, here's the background. Here's all the stuff you need to know. But by the way, here's David. And so, <laughs> you know, I preached a sermon on David, bro, and I don't even get to David. But anyway. <laughs> it's a tough task to do his whole character arc and that important of a Bible Ooh. character just in one uh, one sermon. That, that's for sure. Laying it, the foundation for it. Exactly. I like that character arc. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, I, that's, that's, I sound like a real uh, cinematographer or Yeah, something. that's really good, Brooks. Wow, that, that was awesome. I know so. nothing about writing a story <laughs> it's not like true. That. I'm just using big words. You are so bright. It's awesome. So, but anyway, so I think we had enough of a background to jump in and what I really hope to say this week. This week is going to be one of the most familiar Bible stories uh, that people know. It's David mm -hmm. and Goliath. But I I believe that uh, I, it's hard to say the majority of the churches, but I would I would guess that many of the sermons preached on David and Goliath are a moralistic message that doesn't contain the gospel. It's kind of a, uh, hey, when you face the giants, uh, you can slay them. You know, you you can uh, you you can do it. You you know, uh, mm -hmm. believe in yourself. You believe in yourself, and and we can topple giants. But you know, the uh, the, the truth is, um, it's not that. It's it's the story isn't you know believe in yourself or you could conquer the giants in your life. The story is. Here is somebody who's defiling the armies of the living God. Mm -hmm. Here's somebody who's against God, and God is going to raise up the, the, the smallest of shepherd boys mm -hmm. to do it. And why? It's for his name, for his glory, for his people. So it's really, uh, it's how God delivers. Mm -hmm. And then we see that ultimately in Jesus. But anyway... That's that's enough about that one. Mm -hmm. So and yeah, a much easier task than laying the whole foundation of David's whole life and what led up to him. That's e for sure. Exactly. <laughs> I think the biggest task will be make sure it's not just this moralistic fight your giants in your life. Mm -hmm. It's going to be let God be the one who fights for us and, and let's see what Christ has done for us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good stuff. Well, we can get into some Casey updates before we uh, bring in Richard here, man. There are a lot of updates. I'm not sure exactly when we post, I think um, I imagine might even be today. So yeah. Early. Yeah. It could be today. Well, early episode for that's everyone. awesome, which is fantastic. So tomorrow night we have our women's ministry studying first Peter, mm -hmm. uh, using material from a, an incredible godly woman by the name of Jen Wilkin. Um, She's a, a great Bible exegete. I mean, she kind of really helps to open up God's word mm -hmm. in, in, a, in a beautiful way. And I'm excited for our ladies to, to jump in and do that. That's here at our house. And uh, by tomorrow night, we mean Wednesday night. Thank you very much. That is so good. Thank you. That's <laughs> Thank you, Brooks. Yeah, that's tomorrow night, Wednesday the 14th. Mm -hmm. And so, and then Thursday uh, the 15th, we're going to start our, our creeds and coffee. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, preparing for that, I read more about uh, the gentleman who wrote the Heidelberg Catechism and how it came about. And I'm just all fired up about mm -hmm. it. You know, just it's a, it's an amazing piece uh, um, of, of reformed faith and, and literature that really can help us grow. So anyway, that's going to be 7 a.m. on Thursday morning. And uh, one of uh, one of our members, Chris, said, hey, do I have to bring my own coffee? <laughs> I'm like, no, man, I'm going to have coffee for you. So, uh, uh, But it, he's like, well, do you have a, enough? I'm like, yeah, we'll, we'll have some coffee. So anyway, uh, I not only will we have coffee, we'll jump into the Heidelberg Catechism. And I, I'm excited about it. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, Brooks, it's one of those things like it feels like a Sandlot baseball game. Let's mm -hmm. just get together you know, you know, scrimmage a little bit yep. and just wrestle with this. And it's not going to be as formal as a church service or mm -hmm. maybe even a Bible study. It's mm -hmm. going to be, let's just wrestle through this. So that's Thursday. And then Friday, I'm real excited. Um, we have our Casey family connection. Uh, we got a good group of people 
who've raised their hand saying they want to know more about King's Chapel. We're going to have dinner here. And that's Friday. So, and then on Sunday, wow, this is everything. You know, this is, this is like Wednesday, Give it all. Thursday, Give all Friday. The yeah. Sunday, we're going to kick off our KC in the AM, which will be fantastic. I'm so excited about that. And I'm led by Charlie uh, Woodward and, uh, it's called Foundations, and it's really going to um, give us a handle of how to understand the big story of the Bible, how to understand where the church and the gospel fits in, what the gospel has done for us. You know, our hope is is that God will use us as a tool to really help people understand God's word, to understand, to develop a godly worldview, and uh, um, really grow us in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. so. I think the plan is to to record those on Sunday morning. So if you do miss one, uh, you'll you can find them on the podcast feed. I afterwards. love that. You know, and I love it because Charlie is going to uh, be doing a couple of Sunday nights. He's going to double down on that. So Perfect. if people can't come, like uh, I know some people in our band would like mm -hmm. to go, and so we're going to be able to uh, have some Sunday evening classes mm -hmm. as well. So. Yeah, I walked out the door yesterday morning, and I was like, it feels a little cooler outside. And oh. I was like, I think I'm going to declare it fall. Oh. And then the afternoon came, and it was a terrible Ooh. thunderstorm, yeah, yeah. and it's 95. Yeah, so it's brutal. two more weeks of summer. And you know what? I know we turn our air conditioning off uh, for our Casey Corner here. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'm like, please turn. Yeah, the definitely back not on. fall yet. Definitely <laughs> yeah. not fall yet. Yeah, but we're hey, working we towards great it. guests. Look at the guests in the studio. I know, and they're nice and quiet. We have three puppies in here, and just no disruptions. They're all looking out the window and being yeah, cute. Yeah, they, they're they're cuties. But, uh, <laughs> anyway, hey, excited for Richard Pratt. Yeah, yep. that'll be coming up here shortly. Yep, we'll see you guys on the other side. Hey, what a day, Brooks. What a day. I mean, I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. We we have one of my heroes, and as I mentioned, there's people who can teach. There's some great teachers in the world, but with Richard Pratt, he taught me how to learn, and he really helped me to see the Bible in a way that made sense, and I will forever love him for it. And this is one of my heroes. Uh, interestingly, Brooks, the first time I was in one of Richard Pratt's classes, it was Introduction to Theological Studies, and uh, it was, you know, I was this newbie. I mean, just green as can be, no idea. You know, I just knew Jesus loved me, this I know, before the Bible uh, tells me so. And... After my first class, my wife said, well, how was class? I said, oh, my goodness, it was incredible. But either Richard Pratt's a Christian or I'm a Christian. I don't think we're both Christians. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, it was, uh, uh, yeah, so he's, he's, he's giving me Hebrew words. So this is, this I see is, that this he's is, passing this, notes in class this, right this now. This is absolutely amazing. But <laughs> uh, anyway, so, so grateful for him um, as my brother in Christ. So Richard, welcome. Thanks. Welcome Thanks, to the Jeff. corner. We call this the corner. Casey. The corner. corner. The corner. All right. Yes. And Good deal. But this month so, we're looking at culture wars, uh, you know, the conflict between social groups and the struggle of values, beliefs, and practices. And the question for us is, how does the church engage in this stuff? I mean, uh, when issues that are out there now, I mean, obviously LGBT, ideology, binary gender, all this kind of stuff, where do we engage and where do we disengage? And you, Richard... You were the one more than anybody else in my life that made me realize that what we do on this earth is important. And it's not just getting to heaven. It's not just somehow enduring. I remember you used the analogy that many of us see our current life on the earth right now is like the wrapper of a Big Mac, that we just throw it away to get to the good stuff when we get to glory. 
And you were the one who really helped me see that we are to be a kingdom of priests here on earth and that one day we will rule on earth as a kingdom of priests. And, and I think... That's what the Bible says, you know. <laughs> it wasn't my idea. Well, it, was, it was brilliant. But, you know, somehow I missed it. I mean, somehow uh, I was one of the many that just felt like, you know, just hang on until the end and try not to mess it up. But to think that we can make a difference uh, on this earth. And so, you know... What I would love to ask you is just some of the questions is, where, where do you see the church's role in our current culture? And there's ways, by the way, Richard, that I'm excited because I think in a post-Christian culture, we have the chance to be the church maybe unlike any other time in my lifetime of us really being the church, of being salt and light, being a city on a hill. But where do we engage and where do we disengage? And maybe the biggest question is, do you think that we should be creating Christian subculture, like radio stations that are safe for the little ears? And nothing against those radio stations, but the truth is, um, I've never been a big fan. You know, I mean, do we? Uh, I appreciate them, but you know, where do we engage? Where do we disengage? Where do we create kind of a Christian subculture? So anyway, let me lob that to you. What, what do you think the role of church is today, offense or defense, or both? Well, uh, that's it. That's... That's a tough one. Uh, depends on what, what part of the body of Christ you're talking about. And I assume you're thinking primarily about North America, United States. Yeah, you know, so of course I am because I'm uh, born in America. Is there Christians anywhere outside of here? Oh, <laughs> no, there aren't but a handful. <laughs> is the church beyond that? No, the truth is the handful is here. Oh, it's a handful is here. And um, you, you've helped me see that. I remember the first time I was on a mission trip in Japan and I met Norwegian missionaries. And I was surprised. I was like, Oh, there's there's other countries that are sending people around the world with the good news of the gospel, and it clearly, I've been shaped by the culture I live in. And uh, yeah, when the experts do um, their reports on the growth of the church, the in the world, the North America is at the bottom of the list. Mm. We're below West Western Europe. Yeah, and I hear that many of those outside of America, the United States are looking at us thinking we're crazy. Have we lost our minds uh, with the way we have been chasing after culture or the things that we've been so willingly giving up what the Bible will teach us to be true, uh, embracing what culture has embraced. And I remember you saying that their day might be coming where missionaries will be coming to the States from uh, from other places. It's that, the only hope you have. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, tell me what that means. That's the only hope we have. Well, it's just, I mean, humanly speaking, I mean, there's no way to predict what God will do because Holy Spirit does what he wants to do and he can do mm. magnificently unexpected things. Mm. Okay. Mm. And uh, we would pray for that yeah. in our own, we would pray for that in our own culture. Mm. But, um, truth of it is that you, you can't, can't count on it. How about right. that? Yeah. You can't plan on it. You can't create a strategy mm. out of that. And the, the reality that we face in the United States today, United States and Canada, is that the evangelical church is shrinking. Mm -hmm. If it weren't for the immigration that we have from Asia and from Latin America, uh, we would be—we would not even be on the page mm. for church growth. Incredible. Okay, yeah. and. Um, so we have to sort of realize that about ourselves. And as I think about it, I. I, I try to reflect on, because I've, I'm old enough that I've seen the, the decades of transition. Mm -hmm. And I've, I was with a group of men this morning, and I told them, I, I feel like I'm Rip Van Winkle 
<laughs> and I've been asleep for a hundred years, right. and I've awakened, mm-hmm. and I and I see it. I live in a very, very different world, mm-hmm. and that's that is the way I feel sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I know that a lot of my friends feel that way as for well. Sure. But in truth, I've witnessed it, mm-hmm. and uh, those changes come from as early as the 1960s when I was um, a young mm-hmm. um, adolescent, and through the 70s, and as I became a teenager. And then a young adult, and so it's. But they, but it's, as many cultural changes are, they sort of ramp up slowly, and then there's a sudden, there's a there's a, a tipping point. Yeah, tipping point for where, sure. Where then things just slide so fast yeah. you cannot even believe yeah. it, and yeah. I think that's the sense of which I feel like Rip Van Winkle. I, the, I do too. The tipping point has happened, and um, we are we are no longer. It would be foolish for us to think for a moment that we are any longer a major influence on North American culture. Well, you know, it's interesting. So that all the books that I've accumulated over 30 years of ministry, they want to teach you how to grow a church. They want to teach you how to uh, advance the kingdom or, or be an effective witness. You almost want to throw them out because, again, the context in which yeah. they were written, it's a different world. I mean, we've broken up, world. and it's it's... So I, I think that that's the, really the premise. I mean, again, I'm a, not a typical church planner. I'm 56 years old. I had a long run in, in, a, in a different denomination. And now as I'm starting off new, we're only three years old. We've uh, just celebrated three years and love what God is doing. And it really is, the question is, how, how do we be faithful to the gospel? How do we be good uh, ambassadors of Christ, the priesthood of believers, in the context in which God has placed us? And, and uh you know, it's interesting. Like, uh, we're not teaching anybody to do evangelism explosion. We're not. We're not teaching people to go and knock on doors. Maybe we should be, but we're thinking. Let's start with a Christian worldview. And I think e- even I feel we've lost that, Richard. E- even the desire to dig deeply into God's Word to understand what is it that God has revealed to us in His Word and how should we be living that out. Um, uh, so with that, even how do we engage? And, you know, I've talked about this. You know, you got one extreme, you have the Amish who say, forget it, man. The culture is so bad. And it wasn't since the landslide that happened. They're like, yeah, we, we, we want to be separate. Um, and then those who want to just be so much like culture, that it's hard to distinguish them from anything else. And so that's my wrestle, Richard. What, how do I faithfully lead a church uh, in the year 2022 and the culture that I find myself, I feel the same way. I feel like I woke up in a dream and that tipping point happened a whole lot faster than I ever anticipated. I mean, it's, it's here. And the things that we are wrestling with, I, I, I recently preached a uh, sermon series on God's family values and I preached on gender, that he values that he made male and female in his image. I never dreamed I'd have to preach a sermon that he values genders, you know, but that's something if he, that he has created. And so there, the urgency that he has given us a story uh, that we need to pray with our eyes open. There's, there is there is an urgency of how do we do we teach this. But what's the end goal, Richard? Is the end goal for us to create uh, a faithful witness that's separate, that we just are a holy huddle? Or is the end goal that we engage in a culture that is so changed from the, what we anticipated? Yeah, well, I don't know your church. I don't know the people that are in your church. You're beautiful, fantastic. But my, fan, but my, my assumption is, or I would, um, I, I guess I'd be willing to put money on this, mm-hmm. is that you 
pastor a an upper a predominantly upper middle class white suburban church mm-hmm. fair enough fair enough okay so here's here is what i would say you know you're 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 posing it in terms of should we withdraw or should we engage the culture right. around us right? right okay well the first thing that what i would say is that we need to take some very serious time to focus on a third issue before we even address that's those second issues of withdrawal or engagement okay, okay? and that is um, we have been con- we are already consumed mm-hmm. consumed with what what do you mean the the culture has won oh yeah okay mm-hmm. and we have already adopted so mm-hmm. much of the values of our culture I'll explain what I mean by that in a yeah. moment. Um, that we we can't even begin to ask the question: Should we withdraw or should we engage? Interesting. We're so identified with it, yeah. especially your white upper middle class suburban neighborhood, mm-hmm. because we have felt for since World War II at least that we're safe here, mm-hmm. and that the values of the broader culture the white upper middle class suburban culture mm-hmm. uh, are our values right and we did not distinguish them mm-hmm. and so we've been eaten alive by them mm-hmm. and now that a transition has happened in that same arena mm-hmm. now it's, now there's more diversity obviously at least we we sense that there's more diversity maybe it's media that lets us think this but nevertheless we are engaged with the concept of more diversity Um, we're beginning to see that, wait a minute, things have changed, but what's happening at the same time is that not only have have we been consumed by the culture that that we felt at home in, but we are still being consumed by the culture. For sure. We are are eaten up by it. And you can't, um, it seems to me that if I were pastoring a church, I would, and I won't, don't want to, thank you very much, uh, <laughs> or let me just say in my own life, my own personal life, that I have to, in order to decide whether I need to make withdraw more or engage more, I've got to admit and identify the ways in which I have been eaten up. Yeah. And it's hard to see how you've been eaten up. Oh, it's almost impossible. Yeah. You know, you're... you're your heritage, your current environment. I think some of the things you've taught me uh, to think through that shape us. But it's interesting, Richard, because I was asked early on when I was uh, leaving student ministry, becoming a lead pastor, I was asked, what kind of church would you like to have? And, you know, fair enough question. Uh, And I remember the answer. I'll never forget. I said, I would like to have a Ross Dress for Less church. And everybody looked at me like, what the world is a Ross Dress for Less church? I said, it's the only place I go to where I see white, black, Hispanic, people who look like they have money and people who they don't. And when I read the end of the story, every tribe, tongue, nation, and people group are going to be there. It seems like that was what I would love to try to, to have that kind of church. And I tell you, it, it's, it's very hard because I can't get away from the fact of, of my color uh, that I'm white and then the way I was raised and so I try to think how do you do that do you do that with partnerships do you partner with others around you that are different than you I recently read uh, one of the Keller articles of talking about where the church is today uh, and he says hey if, if you're a, a 
white upper middle class guy trying to hire a staff that's even different than you, I'm not sure that's going to work. And to me, I'm almost like I'm paralyzed. What do I do? I can't get away from my heritage. I can't get away from who I am. Um, and I've seen this actually, my daughter and son-in-law attended a great church uh, up in the Durham area. I'm very, uh, they very with intentionality tried to hire minorities and, and uh, and we worshiped there, and I, I hats off. But I saw behind the curtain of some of the struggles that go on trying to do that. It's it's not easy, and so and I don't know the answer to that. Um, well, I don't think anyone does, yeah. and that's part of the that's part of the problem, because let's just let's put it in, in Bible language, okay? Before Israel went into Canaan, which is the sort of ultimate cultural transformation, absolutely, okay. Um, they had to consecrate themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to do that Ouch. means you have to you have to identify how you are already unfaithful, and how and have such strength and depth of commitment that you're ready to serve God's purposes in any way that He directs you to do so. Mm. Okay. And, and I don't believe that we're consecrated yet. Mm. I don't know your church. I can't say your church isn't. Mm-hmm. But, um, but in broad general terms, how can you do this? I don't know how, but I'll go ahead and do it. Um, I would say evangelicalism in America, North America, has yet to really come to grips with how we got to where we are as the church. Yeah. And... That means, in other words, as I said earlier, we've been consumed. Mm-hmm. We are not walking into this um, tabula rasa or a blank slate. Mm-hmm. We are walking into this with very, very dirty hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it really true. And I, the, the thought I had is we kind of maybe the way not engage or disengage is repent. And again, I think we live in a culture that tells us an interesting view of repentance. Repent for the tone of your skin or what your an- ancestors did. But I think, to me, what I hear you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, repent from how we've allowed culture to shape our Christian worldview, our understanding of Scripture, that, that somehow our comfort is, should be the supreme goal of a, of a Christian in America or whatever. I mean, just repent of the way culture has so infiltrated our understanding of the gospel that's kept us from being missional, that's kept us from being an ambassador for Christ or that priesthood of believers. Um, and, I, and that was convicting to me, Richard. I think maybe the, the place to begin is on our knees in repentance and beg God's forgiveness for us taking this land of opportunity and somehow blending the American dream and the gospel together to make this as if they were two things that could fit together um, or that were, you know. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's sort of a radicality. I remember... Um, you know, Randy, we're mentioning names, so yeah. I can mention some. Yeah, Randy Pope gave a, a talk one time, um, pastor of a big church in Atlanta, and um, announced that if the statistics of my denomination continue in the direction they have been going, that basically we're not going to exist in right. just a few decades. Mm-hmm. Okay, I elbowed my friend next to me and I said, it's going to happen. Mm. He said, what? I said, they're going to bring porta potties in this room they're going to give everybody 15 minutes to phone home and tell their families we're not coming home. They're going to lock the doors mm. and they're going to fast and pray until they get their act together, till we get our act together. Right. Because I was a part of the group. Okay. Mm. And we will just do it. And, um, well, when he finished his message, and this is a, 
this is a very successful pastor, probably one of the most mm -hmm. in in my denomination, sure. and um, very I admire him so much for taking for taking the uh, risk of doing this. But what happened after the sermon was the gavel went down and the meeting proceeded to the next committee report. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then all the naysayers started talking about how things really aren't as bad as, mm -hmm. we, as they seem. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the problem is, is what you just said, the problem with consecrating yourself is that is the R word. Mm -hmm. All right, tell me the R word. The repentance. Yeah, yeah. Who wants to do that? <laughs> okay, it's, see, because our R word in our upper middle upper middle class white suburban culture, the big R word is not repentance. You know what it is? I was going to say reformed. Am I well, wrong? No, no, retirement. Oh yeah. Oh, that's the big that's the big R word. Yeah, yeah. It's the number one goal is to make sure that you can spend the last decade or so of your life at the same socioeconomic level as you spend as you've had it at the height of your earning years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when that's your goal. When that's your goal, it's so, I mean, and again, I'm not arguing with it, I'm convicted with that, but uh, there's just no kingdom insight to that or, you know, foresight to that. There's it's no just, option. Yeah. Okay, there's, you're not ready, we're not ready. And, and doing it individually is one thing, and it's doing it with a group is another sort of thing, doing it with a denomination is a whole other thing. But gen and broad sweeping terms again, we are not ready because we're not ready to even answer the questions of how much should we withdraw, how much should we be engage, because we are yet to acknowledge what our current situation is. Mm -hmm. Okay, so having said that, I know you don't want me to stick with this, but let me no, just right. suggest, as, I mean, I know you want to go to two and three rather mm -hmm. than just stick with one, but let me suggest that if... If I were dealing with a church, what, um, not yours in particular, just sure. any church, and I was wanting, and I was wanting to get them, and I was wanting to get them to number two and number three options of withdrawal versus engagement, um, I think that what I would have to do is spend a lot of time, and I don't mean bashing people and browbeating them and banging on their heads, but, um, but. A, in a new con reconsecration to the task. And what is that task? Well, that's what we're going to uh, have to say. And I mean, to to doing as much as we can to bring God's will to earth as it is in heaven. Mm. If you want to use Bible terminology. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just alone, Richard, your unpacking of the Lord's Prayer uh, has so shaped my life and that longing that his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Um, you know, and I, I think to me, when I when I was preaching the last few sermon series on God's family values and, and just uh, before that backing up and we are a part of God's family, it's the urgency of a Christian education. It's the urgency of a biblical understanding and worldview that I, I, I feel like, again, the church, um, this is not my church, but it seems like the North American church is, is so biblically illiterate in a sense where we've cherry-picked some of the verses that help us build our future as far as our retirement or the things that would bring us comfort and ease, but we somehow have lost the missional aspect of kingdom. I mean, 
Um, it, it doesn't seem to be something that was preached that I grew up hearing. It wasn't until really going to seminary and a lot under your tutelage. Yeah, they gave me a hard time for talking about it. <laughs> it was you remember that? I do. Other professors and the like? Yeah. Okay, because they wanted to say, no, it's about grace or it's about blessings. Adoption about was this. a big one at one Adoption is yeah. another one. Everybody's sort of picking their picking the thing. Their and when I started When I started talking about, no, it's God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven or the kingdom of God theme, uh, everybody got mad at me. Yeah. It took a took five or six years to get them past being angry with me about that. I don't think I ever convinced them, but I think uh, I think you convinced enough of us. I think I'm one of the the people that you convinced. Uh, not that I was your goal, but you know, I mean that that changed my life. It changed my ministry uh, trajectory. Don't know how effective at times, but you know, hope I trust Holy Spirit is doing His thing. I think that's what gets me here. So let's say we're in a situation here where we really don't know what to do because of the. The rap, the tipping point, and the rapid changes. Yeah, we're sort of trying to catch our breath for a moment here, no trying doubt. to figure out what in the world are we going to do. Yeah. Okay. And um, and that's where the withdrawal engagement question comes up. And uh, but um, as you're ca- as we're catching our breath, part of what we've got to uh, focus attention on is reckoning with what we have been. Mm. Okay, that's mm-hmm. what I'm. That's what I'm basically saying, and I'm not. I'm not happy with that because I don't like what I have been, and I don't like. I certainly don't like <laughs> what my denomination has been. Yeah. Okay. Um, even though I admire the things that that have been good in my branch of the church, and I'm very thrilled to be a part of my mother. At the mm-hmm. same time, it's. Um, it's just obvious that we were not on track in some very significant ways and that I have bought into what was just assumed by white upper middle class people as being the standards of what life ought to be like. Okay, there you are. Okay, there's my personal confession. But Richard, you know, it's hard to see beyond your current cultural context of... of you know, you, you talked about how that shapes us. You know, heritage, our, our current our current community. When you're a part of that community that's teaching, thinking, saying all the, these same things, it's hard to see beyond that. And uh, and again, let me make a pivot here, and I don't hope this makes sense, but it seems like, let's go back to the R word of repentance. It seems to me that that is in vogue in some ways. You need to repent from being white. You, you, you need to pay something for what your ancestors have done. And, and I, I'm not ready to go into the, I'm not smart enough to know uh, how that is all handled. Even with the death of Queen Elizabeth, what's emerged is some really hateful things of, of people. That, that well, are, repentance and reparations is two different exactly. sorts of things. But it seems like but, there's a worldly repentance and a godly repentance mm-hmm. where I was going with this. And it seems like we got to get to that godly repentance that leads to life. I mean, not just a, a worldly, oh, gee, I'm sorry, um, mm-hmm. but really a, a, a... Well, how about this? How about we take a month to humble ourselves? Mm-hmm. How about that? How about that just as an... I'm just I'm trying to put it down in a, <laughs> yeah. a button, button this thing down a little bit, okay? Mm-hmm. What if a family or an individual or a church were to spend a month, just a month, humbling themselves before God, seeking to be specially consecrated and or sanctified, it's the same word, sanctified, 
so that we can be ready to engage with the Lord and his purposes more adequately, more correctly, more, more effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, you just, you just simply cannot assume, well, we've got it right, more or less. Now what we really need to do is just improve a few things here, improve a few things there. Yeah. Um, I mean, like I'm even convinced what you, I won't go into this with you, but um, you know, the language that we use is just is so misguided. Yeah. It's uh, part, one of those misguided terms is worldview. Yeah. Interesting. I'm about to speak at the um, World Reformed Fellowship here in Orlando, which is a global gathering of Reformed Yeah, they've leaders. asked me to speak too. No, they haven't actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. And, uh, well, they've asked me to speak on the subject, and I didn't, I didn't ask to do this. I don't really want to do this, but they're kind of forcing me. Um, the subject is the church. It's the, whole, the whole conference is about the church. So it's the church and persecution, the church and this, mm-hmm. the church and that. Mm-hmm. And they've asked me to speak on the church and the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, one of the things I've got to sort of, I've got to attempt to do is to say the relationship between the church, that's like your local church mm-hmm. or whatever, your denomination, and the kingdom, which is the goal of bringing God's will everywhere in every way, as here as it is in heaven already, in the courtroom of heaven already. Um, we've got to get to the point where we don't think that there is a right answer, which mm-hmm. is worldview. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. There is not a stable right answer that, that we can just... Uh, go through the files in our computers and mm-hmm. find out what what pyramid we should be buying into. Mm-hmm. Um, instead, what we have to do is accept the reality that the body of Christ is in a world that is changing and is different and is always changing and always different in various places for different kinds of people in different ways. Even those that are have the affinity of calling themselves, let's say, reformed, There's a lot of variety in that as well. Mm -hmm. And there's an agility that we have to have to be able to answer questions like you're posing. How much should we withdraw? How much should we engage? Right. Okay. And um, so we don't even have the vocabulary to do this. And it's a very difficult thing because I know that group well enough to know that what they're going to be expecting from me is is to give the right answer. Yeah. Give us a nugget or two, you know, <laughs> tell us the answer. Yeah, the right exactly. answer. And, you know, um, it's, it's interesting, Richard, when I started preaching about, let's call it worldview, a guy called it God's family values, which again, is kind of arrogant in a sense, but listen, we're going to go to God's word and he values things like life. He values things like gender. And I, I was so excited to use one of your uh, analogies that I stole. As a matter of fact, I wanted to get a prop. And so you talked about snowshoes. I remember being in seminary and you talked about how you hold these truths of scripture together that God has given to us in a web of a way that it's like a snowshoe that keeps you to be able to fall through. If you just take one uh, yeah, topic. It distributes your weight. It distributes your weight. And, 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 and you got you to gotta do that, which was brilliant. I mean, it was a, a brilliant thought. And and because uh, I have been on the end, I'm, a, I'm one of the guys has a propensity to take one truth 
hammer down on it and you sink right through and you miss the rest. But like anyway, walking on a snowbank with stilts. Right? <laughs> exactly. And again, a kid who grew up in upstate New York, I know about walking in snowbanks. But, <laughs> but so I, I ordered from Amazon uh, some snowshoes because I'm figuring, oh, cool. I'm, I'm figuring like, hey, you know, my, my Florida people, uh, they, they will not understand a snowshoe. And when it got delivered, I was so excited. I rushed them there. I'm like, this is a great idea. And they were little teeny ones. They were like five inches. They, they were to hang on your wall somewhere. I'm like, this isn't a snowshoe. Oh, you shoot. thought they were going to be a real snowshoe. I thought shoot. they were the real thing, you know. And so, so I had to show a picture instead. But it was it was a brilliant analogy. And again, let, let me let me land the plane, turn the corner real quick, and say, Richard, as always with you, I'm always challenged and I'm always burdened in a sense where. You know, I think you see a bigger picture that I haven't seen, or you help me see a bigger picture. And I, I love the thought of spending a 30 days in humility and repenting. And maybe before we ask the question, are we engaging or disengaging? We, we need to purge ourselves of how we've gotten here and, and where our thinking is so misguided for what we have absorbed, what we have seen as true that's outside of Scripture. But um, but with that, with that said, uh, you know, the, the thought of, you know, where do we go? How do we get here? Um, I'm challenged. I, I, I want to repent. Um, but you still got to lead the church. You still got to figure, you know, say something on Sunday that moves them forward. And uh, um, and I, I go to what Third Mill is trying to do, a Christian education for the world for free. Uh, I don't know of a more Christ-honoring, in my mind, um, uh, motto than that. Um, it seems to me to be exactly at the heart of what we should be doing, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and to do it in a way that engages all types of people and for free, which is fantastic. So uh, in there is just a thank you so much for what Third Mill does. Thank you for the resources that you give away, my brother. You live it out, and it's it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And, hey, I'm, I'm trying to do that uh, in our context at, at King's Chapel and you know, how do we uh, love God's people, point them to God's word, um, and, and tell them where to engage and disengage. But I think, again, it probably goes right back to repentance and uh, and on our knees. Brooksy, you got a thought on this? I've, I've boxed you out. I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. I know before we were talking about you saw my UCF shirt, asked yeah. what I majored in and everything, and I said finance. So when you said, you know, the R word for our world of retirement, that's definitely something you're taught in the finance world, obviously. And when you start working, so I'm 26, just started working a few years ago. They say, okay, start putting money in your retirement now. Start getting all build, build, build. So how do you take that Christian worldview with your finances uh, as you're starting out as a young employee? I, I'm, I think that the advice of starting early mm -hmm. and being sort of faithful and moderate in mm -hmm. that, okay, is the best way to go probably, mm -hmm. assuming you don't have tragedies in your life that ruin everything along the way, okay? Okay, that, that kind of changes the game a little mm -hmm. bit. But the formula is you're not going to have to... Um, the goal would be, I suppose, that you're not going to have to devote every single thing and, that you can possibly do to securing your older, your later years mm -hmm. um, as you move toward them if you've been doing it gradually and, and uh, incrementally through the years. Mm -hmm. Fair enough? Yeah, okay, absolutely. So that you don't get to 45 and go, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. Okay. And then it's the panic, and then it's the workaholism, and all the other stuff that you know that that 
feeds into all of that business, which then distracts us from the kingdom of God. Right. Okay. And so I think that's probably very good advice, assuming that certain things are in place, mm-hmm. you know, that... And that's not your idol that you're thinking about retirement when you're young and that's all you're living for and all you're making funny money Yeah, I mean, I can tell you right now, I love my shoes that I have on, mm-hmm. okay? They're good looking too. And they're hokies, <laughs> okay? And um, they really help my feet work well, okay? Mm-hmm. And that's these are old man shoes. <laughs> um, but, the, but the truth is, is that um, I don't, I, they're not, I don't, I, do, I don't turn them into idols. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. But I can tell you, they don't preoccupy me. Why? Because, well, I got the shoes and I just wear them. Okay, it's just a part of my life. And I use them to do more things that are more important to me. Mm-hmm. Now, when, my, when I have this foot problem, and I do, and it can be very painful sometimes when I don't wear them, now I'm heavily preoccupied. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I just think that money should be something that we are not consumed with or preoccupied with to the extent that we don't give the kind of devotion to kingdom goals that um, is required of us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, we were talking about how to, what the R word is, and I mentioned humility. Well, the reason for humility is because, one, we can't secure our lives in this world, mm-hmm. okay? We just can't. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't be responsible and do, the, you know, do a reasonably good job at it. But people get sick, mm-hmm. for example. People lose jobs. Economies go sour. You have recessions. Maybe you have depressions. Um, you have pandemics and you have wars and things like that. Um, and so we, we, you can't control the world around you, and you can't control even your own little tiny uh, eigenbelt, your personal world. You can't even uh, control that. Uh, so you have to realize that you're, you'll be frantic unless you get right perspective. So that's what I mean by humility, that kind of thing. And, um, but I also mean that this is a hard aspect of all of this repentance that we have to somehow figure out how to communicate with people and encourage each other in this notion that we are to seek the kingdom of God first mm. and that that takes mm. a great deal of mm. sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and when you talk about a church of upper middle class suburban it's a lot of that you're thinking about yourself or your family the vacations you can take how early you can retire and everything like that and that's a that's a good starting point i think when you say about the month of evaluating and focusing on the kingdom that's that's somewhere i think that people could definitely start yeah and you know yeah and i um i you know i have these sermons in my head that i give and then repeat over and over and over again. I'm not like Jeff. I get to use the same sermons over and over you again. You say I'm in the shower. Right, exactly. I've got, I always tell people, say, what are you going to preach on? I said, I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell me, but he only has 35 choices. Okay? So I've got about 30, 35 sermons yep. in my brain, in my mm-hmm. yep. head, in my heart that I'm ready to give. But um, one of those, one of the line, one liner in, in one of those sermons is if you give up things for the sake of spreading the kingdom of God now, the, the reward will be very great. Now, I don't know what Jeff teaches, but most 
people like Jeff don't talk about rewards in the world mm-hmm. to come. Okay, mm-hmm. so you that's there you mm-hmm. lo- you just lost your leverage. It's mm-hmm. the leverage that Jesus used, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yes. So it's not the best life now, huh, Richard? It's actually yeah, in the world right. to come. And in fact, what you do now impacts what it's going to be like for you later. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so if you don't teach that, if you're mm-hmm. all stuck on grace so much mm-hmm. that you think all of this is just binary mm-hmm. and that what you do now doesn't matter for your eternal future, well. You need to change that because that's yeah. a leverage point, yeah. okay? And it's it's Jesus' leverage point. Mm-hmm. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that he shall also reap. That's Paul, if you need Paul in yeah. this mix, too. Okay, so um, so having said that, though, the question for us, of course, is, well, how, how can we increase the rewards that we'll receive in the world to come? And the answer is by denying yourself and taking up your cross and following after him. How did Jesus get the great reward of kingship over the entire universe? It was by his emptying. That's right. It's by his sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Okay, that he gave up his life. He who we, is rich became poor. And so we can turn. We can chop this up into several items, can't we? Or we can. Oh yeah, we can do kind of podcast if we want. <laughs> but okay, know, so let me let me step it up this way. Okay, so in the sermon, what I say is. Um, I try to push, make it concretely. I say, if for the sake of the kingdom of God, you never see Paris, mm. that you deny yourself that European vacation and go to Paris, okay? You deny yourself of that. Just wait until you see Paris in the world to come. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. You haven't lost a thing. Mm-hmm. If for the sake of the kingdom of God, you don't buy that next new car, just wait till you see what you drive in the world to come. If for the sake of the kingdom of God, you don't buy that next bigger house, you actually deny yourself so you can devote your time and your money and your energy to something that's building the kingdom of God on earth rather than just yourself and your own financial and comfort levels rising for you. Um, then just wait until you see the mansions that you'll enjoy in the world to come. Mm-hmm. So the idea is is that people, Jesus himself used that kind of motivation and people need that kind of motivation. Mm-hmm. Okay? Now we don't like that very often because we think it slips too easily into a sort of works righteousness. Well, what other truth doesn't slip into something bad if you don't, if you're not careful? Mm-hmm. Okay? The answer is none. They all do. Okay, and uh, so that would be an example. See that I think that the the early Christian church understood because of what they had to give up just simply to follow Jesus, just to make that choice. Um, they understood that they were giving up their lives, mm-hmm. and whatever task they had, whether they continued to be a soldier in the Roman army or they they continued to collect taxes for Rome or they continued to be carpenters or farmers or whatever they did, they knew that they were called to fulfill the sufferings of Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, isn't it? Your New Testament. You know that I don't. Fulfill, complete the sufferings of Jesus? I mean, how often do you hear that? Mm -hmm. Okay? And... um, 
so that's the direction, that's what I mean when I talk about repentance. That's the direction of the repentance. It's a humility of recognizing that you really can't control this world anyway. And then it's this notion that I need to be seeking first what's coming in the next world, not this world. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean that you so impoverish yourself that you can't afford a proper education for your kids, for example, mm -hmm. or that you have to live in a tent or go out into the woods and things like that. That's a, that's a personal calling vocation from God. God calls some people to give up a lot, he calls others not to, and he does it in a variety of ways, but he does call all of us to be devoted through our generosity to others and our service to others and the service to the world around us that uh, he calls us to be devoted to ensuring that we will enter into the next world and that there our reward will be great. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I don't know how to say it any more plainly than that. It's a trade-off. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now I'm, I'm um, tutoring one of my grandchildren in Econ and economics. Okay, it's high school economics. Boy, it's very sophisticated <laughs> by some professor at Harvard for in, in economics. Who would go to Harvard? And, um, <laughs> and you know, and one of the principles that that she is learning is everything's a trade-off. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, you can't have your cake and eat it too in this game that we play called Christianity. You're either going to the trade-off is you're going to deny yourself in things and relationships and uh, enjoyments and comforts in this world for the trade to trade off so you get it in the world to come. Okay, that's the deal. Americans do not like delayed gratification. <laughs> no, we do not. And, uh, and this is part of this corruption or this consumption that I've suggested earlier that we are so consumed by where we have been because in the past when Christianity, sort of a moderate kind of Christianity, um, was our civic religion, mm -hmm. okay, this so-called Judeo-Christian civic religion that has sort of supported everything in this culture. Um, when that was in force and we didn't have to ask questions like, what is marriage, mm -hmm. okay? Um, we didn't have, even have to ask that question. What is a man? What is a woman? Sure. Okay. We didn't have to ask those questions answer those questions because even though our constitution didn't define those terms they were defined by that judeo-christian mm -hmm. understructure sure okay and so living in that kind of world we felt very comfortable in it mm -hmm. and we were very much by and large these are always exceptions to this but by and large we felt at home in it mm -hmm. well if you feel like this is your home, Yikes. you've got a serious problem Yikes. as a Christian. Yikes. Because Yikes. it is not. It is not our destiny. It is not our home. It is not our, even our purpose to reside here. Um, our purpose is to do things now in service to our great king that will make our entry and our lives in the world to come that much better. Store up, don't store up treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, but store up treasures in heaven. Now, somebody famous said that. <laughs> okay? Yeah. Um, but I think that the people that claim him don't take those words very seriously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
So true. So everybody ought to be living sacrificial lives. They ought to be limiting their their potential economic growth, sort of those kinds of things. <laughs> they ought to be narrowing it down, getting it down to what do we really need to have and, and spend and those sorts of things to do the essentials of what it means, say, to be a Christian family, that sort of thing. I mean, like, I mean, one of the weird things that we don't think about anymore. Uh, we do think about our kids, but we don't think about our parents, mm. that kind of thing. Mm. You gotta think about your parents too, okay? So it takes a lot of effort to think about these things and to prepare yourself for them, being responsible. But in the midst of dealing with those essentials, we've, we've got to focus much more on what Jesus focused his life on, which was losing it so you may find it. And he succeeded in that. That's why he rules the whole world. Do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should have the attitude of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he humbled himself. Mm -hmm. And became a servant. Became a servant. Even obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. So now I want to know why it is that evangelical Christians in the United States of America are so scared of being servants and why they're so terrified and they will run and they'll do every single thing they can possibly do to play this Christian game safe. Well, the, the, everything about a Christian, it seems, oh, sorry, let me back that up. An American, it seems like you climb the ladder and you don't climb the ladder to be a servant. You've climbed the ladder to have somebody else serve you. I mean, exactly that's, that, right. that's, that's the top of the that's ladder. exactly right. And so... Um, yeah, and um, you know we treat we treat sacrifice and uh, servanthood. We treat that like we treat cancer. I mean, nobody volunteers to get cancer. If you're a believer and you get and you have bad cancer, you do your best to accept it and sure. to deal with it, okay, faithfully. And that's a one that's a glorious thing when you can because. That is what it means to suffer for Jesus. That's part of what it means. But we don't volunteer for it. But if we do volunteer for it, we do it one day a year. We wear the same shirt. We go to the same thing. We check the box. We write one check. It's not a lifestyle. It seems to be a program. Yeah, what I'm saying is we don't volunteer for cancer. No, it's We true. run from it just as hard as we possibly can. True. Here's the analogy, okay? That's the way we treat humility, service, uh, sacrifice. We will endure it if we have to, mm -hmm. but we don't volunteer for it. Mm. I mean, how many, I mean, Jesus volunteered to die for the sake of others. And it's rare indeed for Christians to die for the sake of others, mm -hmm. even to risk danger for the sake of others. Mm -hmm. And I mean by that physical danger. Mm -hmm. Okay, it's just it's just so rare. It's it's remarkable when it happens, mm -hmm. and it shouldn't be so remarkable. Mm -hmm. And if we if we were to reorient ourselves and consecrate ourselves to this world and the world to come, uh, we would we might be able to have some motivation for that. But okay. uh, that's your pastoral role. <laughs> so Brooks, there you have it. There we go. You know that's it right there. Richard again did what he does best. <laughs> completely stirs by God's grace and Holy Spirit in my soul and it just a man a reevaluation of uh, you know where are our priorities and what are we doing and 
typical, I came with a question, do we play offense and defense? And he's typical, well, you got the wrong question. You got the wrong vocabulary. <laughs> start, so, uh, you got to start early. So, uh, <laughs> start with something. Um, anyway. Well, you're a football player. I mean, would you, would you ever think of playing the game without first getting in shape? No, sir. Okay, you'd be a fool. Yeah. Good way to get hurt. Okay. This is right. the best way to get hurt, yes? Yeah. Okay, well, that's what we're talking about. You've got to prepare for this um, engagement with the world and withdrawal from the world because it's going to involve both in a variety of ways, and it's not going to be easy. So we've got to get our hearts straight. And it's, it's a back and forth. It's not like you do that for a month and you never have to do it again. Yeah. But I am convinced that most of our churches probably need a heavy dose of reorientation toward this R word, repentance. Yeah. I think you're right. Mm -hmm. You know, the analogy that I use often as a pastor in this context or any other is I feel like I have a squirt gun running into a forest fire. Exactly. And, and you know, golly, it's, it's where do you start? And, uh, and I guess we start with ourselves and humbling and, mm -hmm. and uh, um, yeah, because he's able to put out the forest fire. I mean, he really is. He's able. But anyway. Richard, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank I mean, you. it was. I think that we actually lobbied for 15 minutes, and, and, we, and we, we got 45. Wow, well, that, that's amazing. <laughs> well, that's just old man can't stop talking. <laughs> that's not true. Hey, blessings to you. Blessings to Third Mill. Thank you so much for all that you do, Richard. I know you've never wanted my thanks. As far as I know, you want to hear well done from from the Father, and but I, I do want to say thank you for your investment into life like mine. And uh, thank you, you. You've been a great brother. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bless you. See you guys Sunday.